It's time for another wrestling podcast. All right, all right, all right. Are you fucking kidding me? Guys, I got blocked again on Twitter. I'm your mark of marks. That's the most reliable source on the interwebs. The social assassin at your disposal, bitches. All right, all right, all right. Man, I haven't said that in a while. Uh, Guys, episode 227. Uh, Now, we've been off for a few weeks, months, whatnot. We had a summer break. We went away. Some of us got engaged. Some of us had jobs. Uh, We've been working our butts off. We've been just trying to relax, too. Uh, You know, enjoy a little bit of a summer break, if you will. And during that summer break, we decided, well, you know, let's come back full force. Uh, let's get back into doing some interviews with some of the, the greatest wrestling uh, minds and talents of yesterday and today. So next week, we're coming back full force. Episode 228, we have none other than Sid Vicious, Psycho Sid, Sid Justice, joining another wrestling podcast, talking about anything and everything, if you will, uh, with us. So what happened was, uh, about a few months ago, or I forget how long ago, we decided to stop doing interviews. You know, it became too much of a second job. Uh, you know, you got to hunt down these interviews. You got to get the guests on the show, write the questions, uh, try to make them different from any other interview they've ever done. So it just came to a point where we, were, we just kind of wanted to slow down, do our own thing. Uh, me, Angry Cooter, Minority Mike talk about just, you know, wrestling, what we love, what we hate, stuff that's happening. Uh, and we did that for a little bit. But with the summer break, we decided, you know, hey, fuck it. We're coming back full force. So next week, don't miss that episode. AWP is coming back. But this week, we want to play some of the best clips from some of the the, the best guests we've ever had on AWP. Um, not the whole interview, because it's hours and hours of interviews out there. But we want to play some of the best clips that we thought you know were memorable for AWP to kind of get you guys back in the groove before we uh, come back in full force next week. With a fourth man, I might add, by the way, which... I'm not going to tell you now, so you'll have to tune in next week to find out who the fourth man of AWP will be. Um, But all in all, guys, this is just a little bit of a throwback of uh, the best of, if you will. Now, all these interviews that we're going to play clips of today, you can check out on anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. All of our links are on there. Like us, follow us, subscribe to us. How do you listen to a podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever, there's whatever you listen to it we're pretty much on it so make sure you follow us and subscribe on all that and for all you nfl marks out there it's a new season antonio brown is on the raiders Le'Veon bell is with the jets odell beckham is in cleveland but you know the one thing that hasn't changed it's where i'm putting my money down on all the games my bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend my bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sportsbook period this year they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest first place is guaranteed to win at least a hundred thousand dollars and it only costs a hundred dollars to enter all you got to do is pick five nfl games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of a huge cash prize pool now, guys, I would only recommend this service because it's been good to me. And that's why MyBookie is always the right place. You bet, you win, they pay. MyBookie has live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. Up to $1,000 first deposit bonus. Double your first deposit. Use promo code AWRESTLING to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's MyBookie. And don't forget to use the promo code AWRESTLING when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid. Uh, Without further ado, uh, you know, when when we lined this interview up, I didn't think it was going to be like this so if you know no holds barred you know zeus tiny zeus lister joined the show and at that time what was going on was that john cena i think it was the 20th anniversary of no holds barred john cena called out zeus on raw and i was like well i know zeus i know i know how to get a hold of him let me see what he has to say and lo and behold this unfolded 
on the show without us really asking much <laughs> to Zeus. So check this out. Let me guess. Your new brilliant scheme is to commemorate the re-DVD release of No Holds Barred. You went for Over the Limit and got me Zeus as my next opponent. Oh no, he didn't. Yes, he did, and he does not look happy. I guess let's find out what Zeus has to say to John Cena. First off, uh, welcome, Tiny. Uh, Thanks for joining us tonight on another wrestling podcast. Hey. I got some news for y'all, baby. <laughs> and y'all gonna break it, okay? Breaking the news I tonight? I want y'all to break the biggest news in the wrestling world, okay? All right. I want you to send a message. Do you understand me? We hear you. I'm just gonna say I'm frightened right now. <laughs> no, you better fasten your seatbelts. You better sleep with your lights on. Because I'm from Compton, California. I'm 6'5", 285 pounds. I got a serious suntan. I'm from the biggest gang city in the world. So everything I say is real. This is the cat that you might come up, ended up in somebody's trunk. But you need to send a message to my cat right now. Because my manager, Cindy Cowens, the godmother to my daughter, my pimp, she showed me something that was released in June. And it was the, after 20 years... They released the No Holds Bar starring me and Pooh Butt Hulk Hogan. But you need to tell that guy named John Cena, whatever his name is, that's trying to be street. I'm a real cat. I'm from the hood. I did Tupac second to his last movie. I work with Cube. I work with 50 Cent, the Tech Nine. I work with Snoop Dogg. I work with Dr. Drake. I work with Akon. I work with. Rick Ross, I work with Chameleonaire, I work with Fresh Montana. Man, you tell the cat, I heard he called me out, say he'll take on Zeus. Uh-oh. Well, tell him Zeus is answering his phone call. I'd like to meet him in the ring and shook night his ass, okay? Tell him that. Tell him I'm going to make him my little bitch, okay? If he's a real cat, if the WWE can get their manhood back up, call a real cat. From the hood, and I ride the bicycle like I rode in the hit movie Friday, and I have some high shoes on, and I would beat him down, and I let Hulk Hogan sit in his little wheelchair on the side and watch. If you need a referee, get the rock, but don't call me out if you're gonna play. This ain't Flipper, this is Charles. So, John Yusina, I'm calling you out to all your fans. You wanna come do a reality show? Take that makeup off, John. Oh. It don't look good on you. Be a real cat. Real cats don't wear makeup, John. Get off that reality show. I meet your ass in the ring. Wow, John. In your house. And I'm calling you out. Because I see the WWE that got too damn soft. Y'all wear makeup. <laughs> hanging, out, hanging out with Shamal Moore. Hey, you need to be hanging out with the hood. <laughs> don't play like you're a rapper. Be one. John, I grew up in Compton, California. I went to Compton High School. You better sleep with your lights on. You might end up in somebody's truck. You messing with me, fool. <laughs> hey, all your Junior Cena fans, you, you he's a paper champion. Meet me in the ring. Wow. And I'll beat your ass. Mm. Make you change your name to bitch. Oh, did, did you get the message? Did you get the message? Oh. I think we got it. Wow, Jonathan. Uh, I heard he, he, he showed me on tape where he said he'll whoop Zeus. He, I, I just, I just, I've never messed with this cat. I find him kind of funny. You know, amusing. Yeah. I was watching him on TV like watching comedy. <laughs> so I'm I'm up here. Like, he, 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 when he released the thing, he said, with his, his head in a cast, uh, in some kind of bandage, I take on Zeus. Well, fool. You're talking to Zeus now. Wow. And I'll meet you any place on earth. And I'll meet you in the WWE. And I I need to re I need to retrain everybody in the WWE. Y'all done got too soft. Y'all let the MMA take over. But if you want to bring the ratings back up, well bring a real gangster from Compton, fool. And I'll bring my hip hop friends. I'll bring Snoop, I'll bring Cube, I'll bring them all. Get your ratings back up, because it takes real men to get the ratings up. 
boys can't. My grandmother said it's a difference between a man and a boy. They both got penises. Which one are you? Hey, John, which one are you? You better sleep with your lights on, fool. Wow. I should night your ass. Did you get the point across? Did you understand the message, all you little wrestling fans? Wow. We I we got it. Jonathan, man, I don't know about you. This could be a this could be a setup for WrestleMania next year. What do you think? Oh, what? Hey, I left at the top. How do you think I was coming back? This is the most that's the biggest character actor in Hollywood. I've done almost two hundred movies. Okay? I've done two hundred movies. I don't wear makeup, John. John, real actors from the hood don't wear makeup, Johnny. <laughs> Johnny, hey, what you gonna do? Wear some high heels next, Johnny? Johnny, see what you gonna do? You oh you call that acting? Stay out them cowboy movies, John. Stay out them cowboy movies, John. That's not acting. That's degrading who you are. Wow. Wow, Jonathan. So uh, we have the, the challenge. About <laughs> yeah, man. The, the, the challenge yeah, has been breathe. issued. Hey, hey. Y'all can breathe and y'all can talk now, too. Raise your, you can put your hand down. Yeah, I was going to say, I had my hand up the whole time. This is, this they is amazing. The time. They, go, they, they got the message loud and clear. Wow. <laughs> Definitely. And, and uh, Cindy Congress would negotiate my deal. Oh. Man, uh, I hope... <laughs> I hope to see you two in the ring, though. I mean, that, if anything, is calling out Cena, responding to him calling you out, so. Hey, I didn't mess with nobody. But if you call a real cat out from the hood, they will answer your call. You got to watch what you're doing, you know what I'm saying? Because you start acting like you're tough, and you're acting like you're hip-hop. I'm not, I'm not bothering nobody. I'm doing my movies. I'm the first black president in a $100 million film. I say Gotham City and Dark Knight. Now I'm with the hottest sportswear company in the world. Faith, forever faith, forever faith. My main man Abraham and Ron Brown is the is the, is the, the owners of the company. They let me be a spokesperson. Even I'm always doing something about God. But then with somebody, but Cindy Collins, my manager, she pulled up the thing and on the internet. Is John saying about my name should have never came out of his mouth. My name should have never came out of his mouth. You can't pretend to be hood. You got to be hood. Okay? I'm from the biggest hood city in the world. (laughs) So now everybody has got to deal with the consequences. Sleep with your lights on America. You don't woke up the wrong giant. Now, to hear the rest of the interview, guys, check out anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. Zeus is up there. Uh, Great guy, but man... I'm glad it was over the phone and not in person. Guy is definitely intimidating. Uh, but next, we have uh, probably one of the greatest talents in the wrestling world ever. Scott Hall is joining us. Uh, you know, we, we talked to him a little bit about what's the possibility of working backstage at maybe WWE, NXT, or whatnot. And, uh, this is what he had to say. Now, uh, Scott, uh, a lot of your friends and coworkers are currently working for the WWE in some capacity. Uh, have you ever given much thought to coming back to the WWE to work behind the scenes? Um, I would certainly welcome that opportunity. I think the best thing I can do to put myself in that kind of position is to just continue to be, make good choices, you know, and do the right thing. You know, the WWE's always been there for me. You know, I mean, even when I was the guy who left and, and caused a shift in the ratings, you know, the WWE was there for me when I wasn't there for myself. I mean, I paid for the first five or six rehabs. They paid for the second five or six. You know, so there's yeah. always been a there's always been a relationship there. Now it's up to me to continue to keep my stuff together. Where I'm, you know, I've learned, you know, that when I'm doing the right things and keeping my stuff clean and straight, my phone rings. Like opportunities are there. So. I'm just focused on that. If it's meant to happen, it'll happen. I would love to work with that. I just love being around the young guys. It's kind of the way I broke into wrestling. You know, guys helped me. I'll never forget one time I was coming back. You know, I broke in in Charlotte, and I was. It was a, when the business was changing. Like it was more about uh, television and merchandise then. Like, but you had to have a certain look. The look was becoming real important. That's you know, the performance was almost secondary because the matchmakers would put a guy with the look with a guy who could work and have matches. So I was like too big to do jobs and too green to really get go over. So I was just kind of, I was barely getting any matches. I was working like once or twice a month and the business was catching on fire in Charlotte then because like 
Flair was there. Dusty was there. You know, the horsemen were getting red hot. I remember one time I came back from like the second match. I was on second or something. I came back and Tully Blanchard pulled me aside. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, cool. Tully Blanchard's going to say something to me about my match. And mm-hmm. I was all marked down. He goes, hey, kid, a couple things you did that were really good. Go ahead and keep those. He goes, that other one. He goes, that one time you did that, that was horrible. Don't ever do that again. Don't ever do that again. And I was like, okay, like, thank you, Mr. Blanchard. He goes, oh, don't be confused now. It's not that I care that much about you. He goes, but I don't want you killing the crowd off before we go out there. Because we drew the house. Yeah. So don't don't have the people groaning in the second match. <laughs> now, I never forgot that. I'm sure Tully doesn't remember it. But that's the way I broke in with the, the guys who know helping the guys who don't know. I'll never forget in the same, at the same time frame, Arn Anderson was there. And Arn said to me one time, like, you know, kid, sometimes the, the promoter, he doesn't even watch the matches. He knows who's in the ring and he stays in the back and just listens to the crowd. He said, our business is all about who can make them yell the loudest and the longest. Those kind of things to me, like stuck with me. I went, Oh, okay. I get it. You know, whoever can, whoever's getting the reaction, you know, whether it's a boo or cheer, is it is who's getting paid. Sure. So, you know, I feel, I and see, I can't help it. When I get around those young guys, if I feel like saying something, I have to, you know, I can't, I can't help it. So I've, I've talked to a few of those guys. I think, I don't know, uh, like I said, listen, I have to say this, you do with it what you want, and I'll, I'll say my piece. And, and I know it's like to be approached by the old timers, too, because I was a young guy currently on the roster back one day, and they would bring the old timers around. I thought it was really cool. You'd see them in catering, they'd throw them a bone. And uh, I know it's like when the guys would come up to me and say stuff, and I'd do the real respect thing, like, yeah, yeah, thank you, sir. And some guys, you know, I listen to more than others. So <laughs> I I still have that in my mind when I'm approaching these young guys about stuff. Like, hey, kid, you know, I realize they're like they're looking at me and I'm thinking, wow, in the back of their mind, are they thinking, yeah, 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 whatever, old timer. <laughs> now, depending on how long you've been listening to us lately, uh, one of the OGs of AWP, Jonathan Benjamin, uh, you know, who started the show with me, uh, we also, me and him, did the interviews, whether he interviewed somebody, I interviewed somebody, we both interviewed somebody. Uh, that's how we did it for a while. Uh, but here he is talking with AJ Styles while he was still working in New Japan Pro Wrestling, talking about uh, independent wrestling, basically. Um, and, you know, at that time of how much wrestling in itself was in a boom period and how much uh, it's grown over the years. And maybe, I think, I believe he talks about some of his best friends in the business. So check this out. What do you currently think about the current state of independent wrestling? It's kind of going through what people have been calling a boom period. Are you just excited that, that there's such an interest in independent wrestling these days? Well, I, I think there's a reason for that. Um, I don't think that the wrestling that we're seeing on television, uh, you know, whether it be TNA or WWE, is giving the people what they want to see. You know, the... They try to tell them what they want to see, but they just don't want to give it to them. So uh, they search out independence, and they're you know giving them you know these you know the, these holes that are in the wrestling that's on TV. Independent wrestling's providing, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that's why we're seeing a boom now. And I mean, it was a shocking surprise to me to be in that bubble that I was with TNA for so long, and then okay, I'm back on independence, and the first independent that I go to, we uh, you know it drew more people than the house shows that TNA was putting on. Yeah. So it was a it was it was a pleasant surprise to know that independent wrestling was not dead. Far from it. Where do you think the fans are the most passionate about professional wrestling? They always have been as long as I've been going over there. Um it's the UK you know pretty much if you ask anybody any place that they've ever went, these these people are just, you know, they love pro wrestling. And uh, they're just, they're always great crowds, just always, you can count on it every time you go over. Um, definitely Canada is up there as well. They they really enjoy pro wrestling. 
it's, it's, it's like a part of their culture, you know? So, um, but, uh, and, and then the fans in, in Japan are, you know, a different crowd, you know, they're not as rambunctious, but they're, they show a lot of respect to every one of the wrestlers, whether they're a heel or baby face, they, they show them a lot of respect. Um, so there, there are different places and it depends what you're looking for, but, uh, you can you can count on some of them to be as crazy as you want, and then you know when we're in Japan, you just make sure that uh, you have your working boots on if you want some respect. And but you won't you won't hear it, but you'll see it. You've spent a lot of time in the wrestling business, and as the old adage goes, um, you have a lot of acquaintances in this business, but very few friends. Uh, who are some of your best friends in the business of wrestling? Uh, well, you know. Lucky for me, and not many people can say this uh, when it comes to best friends, and and definitely not wrestling. But uh, you know, I have three. There's three guys that you know, if they're on a show, I'm going to be with them. If uh, you know, when we were all at TNA together, we were all together. You know, uh, that's Samoa Joe, Christopher Daniels, and Frankie Kazarian. Those guys, uh, literally, guys I can call three o'clock in the morning uh, to go get me on the side of the road, and, and it doesn't matter how far I'm away. So those are guys I can count on, and you know, call at any time, and. I am blessed to call these guys my friends. Do you ever watch NXT? I haven't watched uh, a lot of it. Uh, I got to be honest. And even though I have the WWE Network, I have it. And I just, you know, it's hard for me to find time to watch it. You know, a lot of times I'm watching Nickelodeon or the Disney Channel, (laughs) whether I like it or not. That's what's on my television. I have four children, so that's what they want to watch. So, uh, you know, but... Uh, sometimes when I'm I'm working out, if it's on a Monday night, I'll, I'll you know, and it's just me and the TV, I'll throw it on and work out and and watch a little bit of it. Um, I just don't really have the opportunity. Uh, there, you know, I do get on YouTube, especially if I know that I'm going to work someone, and I and I don't really know them that well. I'll, I'll I'll watch some stuff on YouTube about these guys. That way, I'm prepared and uh, you know uh, to put on a great match. You know, because at least I know who I'm working and and what they do and what their style is. So. Uh, you know, but yeah, I think I may be missing out on some NXT. I think there's a lot of great wrestling going on there, and that I need to get to, to watching it. You know, we try to get anybody and everybody on this show to talk about anything and everything. And one of those guests of uh, anybody in it who, who could possibly join us was New Jack. I never thought I'd be talking to New Jack on our show. And uh, great guy, great great um i kind of tells it like it is you know if you will uh but he we talked to him about coming back from retiring about vince hating him and uh how he hates jerry lawler check this out i was at your last match too uh in in 2013 where you fought necro butcher what was it like you know to call it a career that night Uh, do you have any regrets stepping away or was it just time for you i know you said you probably make appearances here and there but uh you know that was technically the official day but how, how did that feel it feels all right. I mean, I actually, I sit at home for like about two years after that. And I found myself getting bored. Mm-hmm. So I started contacting promoters again, you know what I mean? And I would go out and do appearances, you know, and do a show every now and then. But I mean, I I feel like I accomplished a lot, you know what I mean? I made a name for myself, whether it was good or bad, in the business, you know what I mean? And I did stuff that people would imitate but you know they they can never get it right you know what i mean mm. and I, I i left a lot of memories in this in in the business and that meant a lot to me because i i see people copying my shit all the time above <laughs> and devon i mean you know that that meant a lot to me we we know in the past you had talks with the wwe in which you turned them down because uh we know there's no way that new jack uh would fit into that landscape uh, but how important was it for you to own your own name and your character uh, out on the independent scene? And do you have any advice for any other wrestlers who build up their names in the indies uh, just to lose lose that name to a big company like WWE when they sign? That was my whole deal when 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 I did go and talk to them and they wanted to own the rights to my name if I ever came there worked and was I got fired or quit or whatever mm-hmm. and. I always said there's a life after wrestling, you know what I mean? And people know who New Jack is. Nobody knows who Jerome Young is. So I couldn't go nowhere and make a penny off of my real name. You know what I mean? So I kept my name, and I just had to take what came along with it. 
which was not getting a job with WWE, but I mean, I didn't care because I wasn't going to hand them my nuts and let them cut them off. And I'm just sitting there, we you know, with nothing to do now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Does it bother you that, you know, when WWE talks about ECW to where maybe it has to do with that deal that they never really recognize you as one of the guys who helped build that company? I mean, they always mention guys like the Dudleys or RVD, Dreamer, Sabu, but they never uh, really talk about the original gangster. The reason that that happened is because I did a couple of interviews about Best of Man and it got back to him. Uh. And he was offended by it. So, I mean, you know, I was always shit to him. You know what I mean? And, I mean, he went on record and said that, that I was the devil. He did an interview one night and said that New Jack is the devil. Uh. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I, I thought the shit was funny. But, I mean, they don't mention me in a lot of the, you know, books and, and, and encyclopedias that come out, you know, but I don't care. I mean, everybody knew I was there. So, I mean, I don't care. Sure. Sure. Uh, and I got a question from, uh, one of our co-hosts, uh, it says back in 2012, uh, uh, Jerry Lawler suffered a heart attack on raw, which led you to tweet your feelings about him. Uh, was there a specific incident that caused you to have these strong opinions on him? I never did like Jerry Lawler and, the time that I really hated hated that motherfucker was it was a match that do you remember Jackie? Mm-hmm. It was a match that she had, and Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler we were in the Mid South Coliseum, and they were sitting up top, and I was going up there to ask one of them a question. And Jerry Jerry was talking to Lola, and he said she was like a little wet dog because mm. they were doing a match in the ring where they had like a big a big tub that was full of mud. So the loser got thrown into the mud mm-hmm. and into that tub. And when Jerry Jerry said that. Lawless said, yeah, she looked like a little black, wet dog to me. And they started laughing about it. You know, and I'm standing right there. So then when I popped up, they were like, oh, chill. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> and from that time, I never did like that motherfucker after that. Sure. You know, and when he had a heart attack, I said, yeah, I hope the motherfucker dies. I didn't bite my tongue about it, and I would have said it to his face. You know what I mean? And that was why I said it. Now, you know, uh, as as an interviewer, as you interview people through the years, you know, uh, how many times can you ask the same question? Oh, what's your favorite match? Oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? So it's hard for an interviewer to try to come up with new questions to ask uh, the wrestlers. But sometimes, you, you know, you read online, you find a story that's pretty interesting and you want to hear about it yourself. So none other than Ricky the Dragon Steamboat we talked to, and he had an interesting story about when he came back to the WWE, he was going under the moniker of the Dragon, right? And uh, where he was blowing the the flames and stuff in the ring. Well, we talked to him about a story about how he learned how to blow the, the being like a fire breather, if you will. So check this one out. You, you left the WWE, you came back as the Dragon, uh, breathing breathing fire occasionally. Now, I just learned about this yeah. story today, uh, which I think the fans would find amusing, but could you let them know about the time uh, they sent you to get uh, fire-breathing lessons and the incident that followed uh, with your teacher? Oh, yeah, well, the, uh, the company went to Barnum & Bailey, and uh, from what I understand, their, their fire-breather guy didn't want to teach me or let out the secrets of really had to do it so they found a little a little, one of those little parking lot um circuses that you see uh, in in florida yep i was living in the carolinas they flew me down and uh knocked on this little little trailer and this uh, very light-skinned red-headed guy his name was brian lapalm answered and he was so excited about showing me how to how to breathe fire and um, he was a wrestling fan and he was honored and all that and so the big top the tent the big tent mm-hmm. was not finished yet and he says i want he was so excited he says i want to show you i want to show you let me show you so he says i use kerosene 
And kerosene uh, lights up with all these different colors. You know, people use, uh, you know, uh, grain alcohol or moonshine or whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. But that comes out like a white flame. He says kerosene comes out in reds and blues and yellows. So anyway, he's got a, he takes a big gulp out of a cup. He's got a mouthful. Just let me back up. He says, now, when you, whatever you do it outside, hold your torch and always watch which way the flames are going on your torch. Obviously, you want the flames to be going away from you. That means the wind is coming from your back so that when you blow into the torch, the ball of fire is going to go away. Yeah. And I said, okay. So he fills his mouth up with kerosene, and he's holding the torch up, and he's looking at the wind. And it was pretty gusty. It was pretty gusty that day. Mm-hmm. And just as he puts the torch down to his mouth and blows, the wind shifts. And he blows out this mouthful of kerosene, and, of course, the wind blows the kerosene all over his face. Uh. Is now I'm watching this professional who told me he's been doing it for 10 years, running around the parking lot with his face on fire. <laughs> Oh, my God. And he's patting his face. He's patting his face. And um, the office uh, office sent a guy down with me just to oversee everything. And I looked at him and I said, you call call Vince up and tell him that we are watching a 10-year veteran run around the parking lot with his face on fire. And that uh, this dragon is not going to be doing this. (laughs) <laughs> and he's the one, Brian LaPalm, he goes, no, 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 everything's cool, come on, come on. So we started off with little shot glasses, yeah, just a little burst. And finally the tent got put up, and we were able to go inside, more of a controlled environment. And, and you know, we were, it was showing me, and we ended the day, came back the next morning, knocked on his little trailer, and he shows up, he opens the door up, and he's got all these water blister bubbles all over his face. And I mean, uh, I scared the heck. I said, Oh my God. (laughs) And he was, Oh no, no. I just, I just, I just wanted to keep him to show you. It's just as a little joke thing, you know? And and he took him and he started popping him on his face. (laughs) And then we went into the big top and I worked my way up to where I could do a mouthful of kerosene. Yeah. Well, that, uh, I mean, that was just a great story. I mean, your first day to learn from a guy, and that's what happens. So. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and he's the pro, and he's running around with his face on fire. He burned off his eyebrows, you know, uh, the front hairline of his hair. Now, this is a fair-skinned guy with freckles, redhead, light skin. And the next day, I mean, it looked like he's been underneath the sun lamp in his face for a day. <laughs> You know, one of my favorite wrestlers is Rob Van Dam. Uh, We had the pleasure of talking to him a while ago about just being able to last a while in the business. I mean, if you look at Rob Van Dam in his career, he's one of those guys that just looked like he never aged in the business at the time. Uh, Just an incredible athlete. So we talked to him about just being able to last for a very long time in this grueling business. How have you been able to remain so consistent for such a long time? Sticking to my guns, I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn. That's what, that's what it is, and uh, I know when uh, not to listen to people because that was one of the hardest things when I was young and new to the business. I used to wonder who should I listen to because everybody would pull me to the side, and then they would give me a piece of their mind, and they all said conflicting things, you know, that they thought would be good advice to me because. They all wanted to have their stink on me is the way that I see it. You know, they wanted to be able to say, uh, yeah, I ultimately is young, I don't train, whatever. But they, there was a lot of conflicting uh, advice. And, and when you're young, you, you got to make the right call. Should I listen to this guy? Should I, this guy says, don't look at the people. This guy says, hey, you got to connect with the people. This, uh, this guy says, uh, hey, uh, slow down. This guy says, hey, you know, keep it up. You know, keep, you know, boom, whatever. Uh, for me, that was... A big a part of it. I've always made the right decisions throughout my career. When I look at how long I stayed and when I left, everywhere, every contract that I've had, um, which has always been on my own, um, you know, except for uh, when I first started in 1991 with USWA, uh, they actually finished me up uh, and Sabu and the other guys before. We wanted to be finished, and that was what they did. And every every other contract, WCW, WWE, a few times, 
uh, All Japan, ECW. I left there uh, when I knew it was time. TNA, uh, we were actually going to do another contract. They just never produced it. And so, you know, I knew it was time to, to knock on uh, you know on another door when, when I did. So um, it's all about making decisions, I think. I had the old school mentality of the original Sheik, which now kids don't have that. A lot of... A lot of the wrestlers in WWE are second-generation wrestlers, um, but somehow the style has changed so much. I feel like the old-timers have lost a uh, like the generation above me. I think lost their grip on, mm. on the younger guys, and it's like what used to be wrong is like the new right now. When I watch it, it makes me confused about you know how, how valid my knowledge and experience is if they're doing things different, but. Things have to progress. Sheik told me way back in the day, uh, don't listen to anybody else. Uh, ask them. They don't know what you're talking about. And that was, uh, I think that was the advice that, that helped me out the most. And being consistent, sticking to my guns when everybody wanted to change me. And then um, here, here I am, uh, standing the test of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, so speaking of standing the test of time, uh, something we have to point out is that from day one until now, it looks... Like, nothing has really changed about you. But uh, in your eyes, uh, what about you is different uh, today from Rob Van Dam of five or ten years ago? Well, I'm always improving. Like, that's... Uh, when I left WWE in 2006, uh, it was very important for me to experience other things in life. I've been wrestling my entire adult life since right out of high school. And, uh, you know, I do the Rolling Thunder, people cheer, town to town, okay. But I, I wanted to get in touch with the spiritual side. I wanted to better myself as a person, thereby bettering life. And uh, because because I've, I've, I've really been involved in that, whenever I look back at myself, I always look at a lesser version of me. When I look back even further, like if you want to go like 15 years back, and I think about the people I knew at that time and uh, the relationships I had and whatever. Uh, a lot of times I, I just think I was a jerk back then. You know, definitely worse before then. But I'm always improving. And, uh, you know, like you never know what the future holds. But if I went back five to ten years and talked to a, a, a five or ten year younger version of RVD, I'd be like, bro. Don't even worry, man. The future is great. uh, It's awesome. Right now, I pick my shots. I pick my shots. I work when I want to. Uh, I'm off uh, whenever I want to. I got a house in L.A., a house in Vegas. Go back and forth whenever I want to and uh, uh, part of my ass off. I'm uh, supposed to be in... uh, 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 Actually, I'm going to be doing my second movie uh, of this year uh, in a few weeks. And then um, that's... uh, there's three more that are on the table that uh, that, that should happen uh, this year, um, and, and so I'm I'm actually like like so busy that I'm trying to find time to do certain things uh, that I want to do that are even business related, and uh, and that's a good thing because it's all stuff that I want to do, so it's all positive. Stuff that I don't want to do, I don't do. Mm-hmm. That's another that's another way that I've always been uh, successful and gotten ahead and. And I've uh, been able to stay true to me is, um, you know, I don't do a lot of things and I don't want to do. I mean, you know, there's there's paying your dues. There's the there's the yang to the yin. You know, sometimes, hey, you got to sometimes you got to clean up dog shit if you want to clean yard. I mean, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but uh, a lot of people live with a lot more hate and a lot more guilt and a lot more negative energy uh, than I allow into my life. You know, I said before to uh, being an interviewer, you get to talk to a lot of these guys and you have to come up with questions. We spend hours, uh, you know, trying to do research of just questions that haven't been asked. It's a hard gig. Try doing it. Try try thinking of an interview where, you know, questions that have never been asked and something you want to get out of somebody. Um, it's hard. But what we like as interviewers is where you ask a question and then the, the interviewee just kind of answers like five questions with one with one five it has five answers for like one question that we ask and that's a great interview because the ball just keeps rolling with them and one of the guests that we've had 
whether you love him or hate him, Jim Cornette was probably one of our greatest interviewers uh, we've had on AWP. And it's, it, I love how when you ask one question, it just leads to other answers of questions you might not have asked or stories you didn't even know about. And he just brings it up. And Jim's that kind of guy. And to where, you know, you ask one question, but he has he can lead into several different stories with it. So check this out. I guess one of the big things that I would like to talk to you about too is that you were a huge part of OVW. Um, you mentioned some of uh, earlier about how you worked in the Louisville Gardens with them, and um, it was a huge amount of success creating and developing talent that they're still using today, quite frankly. Do you think that NXT is the, the people are going to get as exposed to the business that they did whenever you were working with them in OVW? Uh, you know, I haven't been there, but I've seen the pictures. It's a state-of-the-art training facility. They've pumped a bunch of money in it because the son-in-law wants to look like he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they pumped a lot more money in it per month than they gave us per year. Uh, but we uh, trained uh, the John Cena's and Randy Orton's and the Batista's, Brock Lesnar's, Shelton Benjamin's, Victoria's, and on and on. A hundred and some wrestlers went through OVW that later uh, got national spots on television uh, because we put them in an old-fashioned territory with a local television show, made them local celebrities, uh, put them not only in, in wrestling school but also in live events, and we trained them to be wrestlers. The one thing that a problem I have with NXT now is is they they seem like they, they train guys to be gimmicks. Uh, we didn't necessarily, we gave guys gimmicks if they were bland, if mm-hmm. they were boring, uh, but uh, we more or less tried to train them to be professional wrestlers and to have them get experience in a variety of different uh, situations and then find what would come out of them and then lead them in that direction, not say, okay, we need a belly dancer. Who's going to play that part? <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, they uh, also the thing is you have to have uh, a talent roster where there's main event guys, there's intermediate guys, middle card guys, and there's preliminary guys. And you have to have people to fill all those spots. And that's why we would bring wrestlers into OVW as preliminary guys, and we would move them up through the intermediate and finally make them main event stars if they leave them alone long enough. You have to get experience like that. You can't just train everybody to be a star because of all the people on the card, half the guys are there to get beat. And unfortunately, you know, when you when you try to just say, I'm going to train a bunch of stars, well, no, you're not going to train a bunch of stars. You're going to train a bunch of wrestlers, and some of those wrestlers that have that talent in them somewhere are going to become stars. So it's, it's just a different way of looking at things. Is there a downside to being famous um, as, as you've been throughout your career? And then I'm going to ask you again, uh, what is your worst fan experience if you could tell us that oh gosh um well there's not there's there's a downside to being famous i guess when when you get to the cm punk level where he just wanted people to leave him alone and i can understand that um and he you know he's a more private person but you choose that life but uh there, there's always a downside to being famous in a lot of cases. Especially, you know, Michael Jackson couldn't go to the grocery for heaven's sake, and it might have been better for him if he had gotten out in the real world a little more. But at the same time, we had a lot of bad fan experiences back in the old days when people still believed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had people attack me physically. We've had people try to run us off the road. I had, I had somebody actually vomit on me on purpose coming back from the ring in Little Rock, Arkansas one night. Um and at the time, we hated it, especially the lawsuits that erupted or the fear for your life. Are we going to be killed or knifed or whatever? But now I almost long for those days because at least we had big arenas filled up with the thousands of people coming back time after time to see us until we got our ass kicked. And, and, and you know, that's, that's lost when everybody knows what's going on with wrestling these days. So it's, it's a double-edged sword. Every time something changes, it may be good, but there's a, there's a negative impact also. We had... Uh, we had a ton of, of fan interaction back in the old days, and, and another project that I've actually been involved in over the past couple months is marketing the, uh, the classic Lost Carolinas films on my website, jimcornett.com. And I'll tell you how stupid Turner Broadcasting was when they bought Jim Crockett Promotions. And uh, they came to Charlotte to clean the office out, take everything back to Atlanta. They took the TV tapes, they took the 
the rings and everything, but I told the janitor at Crockett's office, I said, if they go to throw anything away, you know, related to wrestling, posters, pictures, whatever, call me. Instead of throwing it away, I'll take it because I collect wrestling memorabilia. <clears throat> so he calls me one day, says, yeah, we got a big stack of posters and got some pictures and a bunch of boxes of film. What? I'll be right over. <laughs> And there, over on Briarbend Drive, where the office of Jim Crockett Promotions was, sitting next to the dumpster on the curb on the street waiting for the garbage truck, was every single arena match that had been filmed on 16-millimeter film from the 1970s that still existed that they had thrown away. They weren't TV tapes. It was just a bunch of old film. No, you know, who would want stuff like that? And it was Johnny Valentine and Wahoo McDaniel and Flair versus Steamboat and the Anderson Brothers and Funk and Briscoe and Race and every great NWA star, almost 40 hours of this stuff from the 70s that if not for me hauling it off would have gone to the garbage and been lost forever. And that's how, once again, that plays into what I said about uh, uh, corporate people not appreciate not being wrestling fans, not appreciating the sport of wrestling and its history. And uh, so on those on those films, I had them transferred to video, and I've actually just now transferred them to DVD, and I put them up on my website for Christmas. So if if you'd like to see what all the fuss is about, the complete story and the list of contents is on the website jimcornett.com. But you see. In these films, the fans' reaction, they lived and died by the baby faces that they loved making comebacks and being beaten down. And you see fans jumping and attacking Ric Flair when he leaves the ring because he was such an evil heel. And you see them explode and throw babies in the air when a guy like Ricky Steamboat scores the pin. And it, it's just, it was a completely different world. And I was having this conversation with Dave Meltzer where he said he could watch you know, less than a minute of one of these matches and see that those guys were better, more polished performers than anybody in the business today because not only did they do it every night of their life, but they also had that reaction to learn from because ultimately wrestling is about on-the-job training. You've got to have the athletic talent. You've got to have the mind for it, but you've got to go out in front of people and by their reactions find out what works and what doesn't work and that's how you uh, that's how you learn and get better. And it takes guys who you know the, the WWE guys only wrestle three or four times a week now, and independent wrestlers might wrestle five or six times a month now. Whereas uh, in those days, the seventies and eighties, especially, we sometimes would have ten matches in the course of a single week. It's a different world. And now what's great about our next little clip is uh, Eric Bischoff, you know, recently was assigned as a producer role for SmackDown Live. Uh, we talked to him a few years ago about, you know, uh, the task of having to write three-hour Raws or two-hour SmackDowns and just doing this week after week after week uh, to kind of, you know, it's a, it's a hard job. That's a lot of TV to write every week. And so, so what's nice about this interview is that he kind of gives his thoughts about producing these shows before he was assigned to be a producer uh, a few years later, so check this one out. What do you think is the hard part about booking such a long show? Uh, back then, maybe compared to today's audience, I mean, it's a, it's definitely, I think, a, a different vehicle, at least. Well, you know, it's not only... WWE is not only producing a three-hour show, they're producing a three-hour live show 52 weeks a year. And then, on Tuesday night, they're producing a two-hour live show 52 weeks a year. And on top of that, they've got, you know, ancillary programming like 205 Live and Next and all that other kind of stuff. Oh, and by the way, on top of that, you know, they're touring 300 events, live events a year that are not televised. So the just the sheer workload of it all, you know, kind of overall is, is mind-boggling to uh. begin with. But when you talk just about the television show, you know, a three-hour format, the, there's a lot of things that are hard about it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the travel, the logistics, the, the amount of talent that you have to keep on your roster because, you know, you can't just have the same people, you know, wrestling week after week after week. You kind of run out of ways to mix them and match them. So you, you need to have a pretty massive roster. Um, you're telling a lot of stories, you know, to fill a three-hour 
episode, mm-hmm. um, you, 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 you know, add to that the fact that, you know, injuries and personal issues and, you know, other challenges pop up, you know, in the middle of all your plans, you know, we saw, you know, what happened with Enzo Amore the other day, mm-hmm. or a couple of weeks ago in New York, you know, things like that happen. People get hurt, you know, you have legal issues pop up, family emergencies, people get sick, you know, so no matter how much you plan ahead, there's always something yeah. that's going to force you go back to the drawing board and literally rewrite a show, you know, hours before airtime. And that's a hell of a challenge. You know, and, until you've done it, it's just really hard to explain just how mm-hmm. big of a challenge that is. Sure. Uh, and I think one, yeah. you know, one of the other things and on the on the other side of it, that's what makes it hard as a producer from a consumer point of view or an audience point of view, you know, the challenge as a producer though, it is in today's environment, even more so now than when I'm much more so now than when I was doing it, it's so much harder to keep the audience's attention because now, you know, a wrestling fan will be watching, you know, Monday night raw and also watching something on their phone Yeah, and going back forth on the internet and seeing what other people have to say about what it is they're watching, you know, as it's happening live. So it's, it, it's much harder to keep people's attention and their focus. And on top of that, just to make it even more of a challenge, there's just so much more content out there. Yeah. You know, it's harder. It's and not just for wrestling for any kind of, you know, traditional television production network or, or production company or television network, it's harder to get people to sit and watch content on television because, you know, there's so many streaming opportunities. There's, there's the internet, you know, there's mobile phones, there's apps, there's video games. There's so many things now that, that grab the audience's attention that you've got to really create compelling content to get them to watch your show each and every week. And especially for three hours, Hmm. audience now has a, has an attention span you know, of about six minutes. <laughs> so you've, you've, got, you've got to produce accordingly. And now with that said, with all these uh, great interviews we've had through the years, you know, we've also had some great conversations between ourselves, between uh, me, Angry Cooter, Minority Mike. Uh, these are just some of the clips which I dug up uh, over the past few weeks to, to, to kind of get you guys back in the mood for uh, another wrestling podcast next week in full force. All right, I, I I have to do this. Uh, greatest speak to me, Greedo. Greatest Royal Rumble has just made the list. Oh no, here we go. It, it's on the list. It, it's 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 hurting my mind reading this and looking at it on paper because it's greatest Royal Rumble, not the greatest Royal Rumble. It's just greatest Royal Rumble. All I picture is like some fucking millionaire Saudi in a room being like, you know, I want to call it greatest Royal Rumble. I don't know. That's how you talk in Saudi, whatever. but it's like, <laughs> no. And I feel like they're getting so much money for this. They're like, we give you uh, $2 trillion to bring WWE here. And it's like, oh, fuck it, whatever, whatever you want to call it, we're going to do it. The fucking name is pissing me off. Greatest Royal Rumble. The Royal Rumble just happened in January. You're going to give this much money to put on a show in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and you're not going to even give it, like, a fucking new name? Like, call it, like, the Saudi Arabia fucking mania or something. There you go. Can I have a request? What? I I want Credo to be the Saudi guy talking to Mike as Vince McMahon, trying to get WWE over to Saudi Arabia to do a show. Let's see if I could sell you this, this idea of the greatest Royal Rumble, uh, Vince. Can we do this? Call yes, me into, please. call me into your office or something. How we do this? I don't know. Let's just well, see. No, you technically you're the customer. You have to call Vince. <laughs> All right. I'm calling you. The phone's ringing. Oh, this is uh, Kevin Dunn, Vince Phones. Hello, I Hi, this is uh, this is Arkari from uh, Saudi Arabia. Put on Vince McMahon, man. Uh, hold on a second, sir. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Vinny Macaroni. Hey, how you doing? It's uh, Ramurskra from uh, Saudi Arabia. I got, Who is there? I got an idea. Greatest Royal Rumble. Greatest. Do you Greatest. like? Do you like? I give you seven hundred million to host greatest Royal Rumble in hometown. What do you say? Damn it, let's go. 
700 million, two camels, and seven <laughs> wives. You get greatest Royal Rumble over here, have and have, we make money. We have to have an HLA match, and Roman must poem it against Roman Reigns. And Roman defeats, and he has to win the women's Raw title. Yeah. Well, we, no, we, no, 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 no. We don't accept women in Saudi Arabia without permission, of course. No women, no women on the card. Give me, give me a twenty-man so battle we have royal. Women's revolution. Now. No, 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 no. <laughs> give me thirty-man battle royal. Thirty. Women's revolution. No, 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 no. That's no. the thing. No, no. How about forty-man? Forty-man battle royal. How much money we're no. talking? All right, 50, and that's it. 50-man greatest Royal Rumble match in the history. women, let's do it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well done, gentlemen. All right, so that's how it all went down, guys. Believe it or not, we had the inside dirt on that one, so I believe (laughs) they got the... (laughs) I I don't think that was my best Vince McMahon because I don't apologize. For 700 million, seven cows... Or no, seven wives and a few goats or something. I, that was two the camels, kind of deal. Two camels. Two camels. Great fruits <laughs> and the oh. genetic jackhammer. Uh, you, know, you, know, you, know what, you know what really impresses me about this list? What's that? Well, I mean, Buddy Murphy, that, that was my, uh, whatchamacallit. I did predict that. I did say he'll get sent to the main roster after dropping the belt to Tony Nese. Thank you very much. Called it, Gush. <laughs> I'd also like to just point out there that um, uh, they broke up Chad Gable and Bobby Roode, and Chad Gable going to SmackDown. That's my sleeper pick right there, ladies and gentlemen. I think now, that's fuck you because it's still my sleeper pick. <laughs> still my sleeper. 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I've been breaking your balls for a year. Now you're okay. just looking at the bright side. Now you get to do it to me for a year. And I don't care. Were you ribbing me or are you serious? No, I'm ribbing the fuck out of you right now. Making sure. I'm just making sure because I'm serious. I'm going with Chad Cable. Again? (laughs) I have faith. Is this the main event? (laughs) Uh, No, there's. I mean, the the Charlotte Hall rupturing her uh, titty. Ruptured her. uh, (laughs) So she was in the Money in the Bank, and I don't. Titty. Uh, that's that's the surprise that we don't know, but uh, you know, yeah, which one? Can you imagine if it's the droopy one? <laughs> the droopy one. So there's been a report saying that she's she was supposed to be undergoing surgery soon to repair a ruptured implant. Uh, it's reported that it occurred prior to WrestleMania 34, but she held off on surgery so that she didn't miss her match with Oscar. Good for uh, her. She's been successfully able to keep it a secret until now. Even uh, ESPN, uh, the body issue photo shoot, managed to shoot around it. They said. Uh, so, uh, uh, it's, I don't know. It, they're, they, I think they're saying also that um, she's continued to wrestle because she wanted to work the European tour, which is uh, good money, I guess, for her. But uh, after that, the plan is for her to have surgery. And so that'll be some, uh, have some downtime before SummerSlam. I don't know how long oh. you have to be out for a ruptured titty or, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what, is it like five months, six? I don't know what the, the diagnosis you know, is on that, Google but. This. You guys keep you talking. People I'm call, figure this out. People, <laughs> call, you know, people get so mad at me because of all the jokes that I make about that, uh, that botched boo job from the movie It. But let me explain something. I've also said she's. The most talented woman's wrestler on the roster. She could potentially be the greatest woman's champion in the history of the business. She constantly puts on the best matches. You know, she she gets herself in, in, in great shape for these big events. But, dude, I, I know I nitpick on this, but, dude, that's the this is the greatest thing that could have ever happened to her after that fucking hacked cloud incident. Where we got to see that left titty that drooped down like Jim Ross's eye, and <laughs> and now we finally get to get these things fixed, bro. Let's remind everybody, all the hate mail can go to Twitter Stop. at Angry Cooter. Dude, <laughs> don't care. Seriously, if you've seen a picture of me, seriously, my nose is so crooked it looks like I've been hit like thirty times. I am not a good-looking person. Well, I believe take it just as well as I dish it out. It's a joke. But in this case, it's the truth. That is a ugly titty, and I hope she gets them fixed. She deserves it. The bitch works hard. She should have top-quality titties, Credo. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, I, figured, I figured I'd give you a call. I mean, we had a friendly bet here that you were going to answer the, the phone cursing at me, but 
You didn't. I lost. It's Credo lost. Wait, wait, oh, wait, wait. Who bet on that? <laughs> Credo, Credo said that you were going to answer the phone cursing at me. <laughs> Why would I do that? Because you always curse at me. I, I'm more used to, I'm, I'm, I was more shocked at the fact that you guys actually uh, called me instead of texting me like a bunch of fucking schoolgirls. <laughs> well, because that's, that's, that's my favorite thing. Like, I'll call Credo because I need to have like a. Like I'm always on the quiet car. I can respond. Fuck you. I got time, motherfucker. Cooter's a phone person. So we're so everybody listening, word of advice, just shoot Cooter private messages and text him. Don't uh, call him. Never call. Get all these strange messages from weird people. No, because they don't get, they don't make it to my phone, bro. If you're not on my phone, bro. No, it's alright. I'll, 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 I'll tweet out your phone number. Just have them like call this no, number. You're not, you're not listening to me. If you're not a contact in my phone, you can text me all you want. I will not. I think you can. I don't. Yeah, you can't do that. Yes, you can. How? Go in your settings and check it out, you fucking mark. <laughs> How does that make me a mark? This is a, this doesn't make me a mark. This is a non-wrestling conversation right now. Listen, do yourself a favor. Pick up a, an instruction manual. Do something other than tug it on your pecker to fucking AEW papers. Oh, oh, I missed it and Cody was so good. Gush, gush, gush. Well, um, some of us work for a living, so I gotta go. Say hi to your sisters for me. I don't work on Saturdays. They hung up on us. <laughs> We, we can sit here and have a whole episode of us bitching, complaining about fans that do that or the social media. But at the end of the day, it's like a virus. We're not going to be able to stop it. It's just going to keep continuously going no matter what. And I'm I mean, you have it too, Mike. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. It, it's not, There's nothing we could do about it. Now, sometimes, I'll admit, sometimes I do like to read some dirt sheets. I do like I get curious sometimes. And then when they when some of these stories that do come out, like it kind of makes me more interested in certain events. Um, Other times it does piss me off that stuff gets spoiled. But there are times where it it intrigues me to see, is this really going to happen? I'm going to tune in to watch this because I want to see if so-and-so is going to debut. I I remember a couple years ago when AJ debuted in the Royal Rumble. The thing that really bothered me was I went into the group and I went on the thread and before my stream had AJ coming out, somebody was already posting about AJ. So that ruined it for me. Yeah. One of the best things was I remember a couple of years ago in the Survivor Series, I didn't go on the internet for almost the entire weekend. And then all of a sudden Sting shows up on my TV. I had no idea. I yeah. popped. Yeah, because I had nothing sp- spoil that for me. So I that was the it. time where you where you even told me, "Don't text me, don't call me, don't." And you turned off all notifications for WWE app, Bleacher Report, everything. And, and and like, and here's an example of this, Mike. I'll give you. I hate to cut you off, yeah. but last week where that news broke about uh, Maria and and uh, Mike Bennett, and look at the shit that I was that I was talking about. Poor Maria and Mike Bennett, where I just threw shit out there because I was so pissed off at an argument I was having with you that started with social media. So I get all fired up, and then I go out there, and I say some dumb shit, like I said last week. And it just fucking – it's a vicious circle. No matter how innocent you think you are, you're just as guilty. Here's an example. Cooter, do you remember a couple years ago when Kevin Owens won the title? Oh, my God. Yes. You remember that? Okay. For the people that are listening. Yes. I did not watch Raw when Kevin Owens <laughs> won the title. I oh, was. I remember I this. Forgot what I was doing. Um, I did not want any spoilers. I actually wanted to sit down. I turned off all the notifications, the WWE notifications, Bleach Report, everything, everything that will send me a notification telling me what happened on Raw because I wanted to sit down and watch <laughs> this as if it was live. Credo's going to laugh. <laughs> I'm sitting like I I forgot where I was and all of a sudden I'm getting tagged on Twitter by 
No, that's not how it happened. He actually texted you. Oh, yeah, that's right. He texted me. Okay. And then I didn't even respond to the texts. And then I'm getting notifications on Twitter from the host of the Wrestling Ramble <laughs> <laughs> telling me that Owens won the title. Oh, like he so reached out to me. Hey, bud. Did you see Kevin Owens win the WWE Universal title? It was so like <laughs> you don't understand how mad I was. You don't when Cooter texts me about an event, he always starts the conversation, "Did you watch this?" Yes. And then from there we'll talk. Right. He went right into it. Not only that, he unleashed fury on Twitter. With these fucking threads going. I was so mad. I wanted to punch a baby. Like, That's you know the credo I'm... phrase. And we have now both stolen it. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Once again guys. This was just the clips. Of uh, some of the greatest uh, moments in AWP history. I wish I had months and months to work on this. But you know what. Go over to anotherwrestlingpodcast.com. You'll see. Uh, all of our shows we've done and how much we've progressed as a show. I mean, trust me, if you listen to episode one compared to episode 226, it's 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 like night and day. Uh, but that's what happens, I guess. The more you do, the better you get at it, uh, and, and, and so forth. So tune in next week. Find out who the fourth man's going to be joining AWP. Check out Angry Cooter, Minority Mike, and me in an all-new episode starting next week.